0: I'm Stacey Lindsay, one of the co-hosts of the Scarlet Society podcast. Today, my guest is Cindy Darnell. Cindy is a relationship therapist, a clinical sexologist, and a leading authority on desire and libido. She's the author of the new book, Sex When You Don't Feel Like It, The Truth About Mismatched Libido and Rediscovering Desire. I think Cindy's work is unparalleled because she's shedding a light on the topic of sex in a way that very few have done before, at least publicly. And that's by providing an unlearning of the messages and conditioning that we've been fed no matter our sexual preference or gender. And Cindy is offering a new way to expand our vision around desire and eroticism. Her work helps people understand that sex and pleasure is nuanced, it's personal, it's magical, and it's different for all of us. So let's get to my conversation with Cindy Darnell. You're listening to the Scarlet Society podcast, the show that encourages women over 40 to be excited curious, and even turned on by starting the second half of their life. This is the show for support, community, and conversation about everything that goes along with this season, from sexual health and wellness to sexual exploration, finances, monogamy, and relationships. No topic is off limits. Let's dive in. Well, I'm here with Cindy Darnell, and I am beyond honored and so
1: excited. Cindy, thanks for joining me today. Oh, you're very welcome. It's lovely to uh, to meet somebody who is so affected by my writing. That's uh, it's very very flattering. I can't actually tell you how flattering, that is. That's lovely. Thank you.
0: I wish I I wish I had a bigger word for it because I'm holding my copy here. It's dog-eared. It's highlighted. It's I have written notes in it. I have exclamation points and the word yes with exclamation points all over it. It's its revolutionary. It truly is. And when you and I were chatting a little bit before we started this conversation officially and just saying mm. how you wrote the book that you wanted to read. And right. can we start there? Can you tell me more about mm. that? Just why, you know, what drove you to write this book?
1: Yeah. I mean, I wrote it because it was a, a book that I wanted to read. I found a lot of books about sex tend to skim over the surface of things. They tend to um, not question some of the sacred cows of sex that I think do need to be slaughtered. Pardon that metaphor, but I tend to, (laughs) these things come to me in that way. Um, I wanted to write a book that challenged how we perceive sex from the outset rather than, you know, trying to look for solutions that have no problems, which is generally how these things tend to roll. You can't enjoy sex that is inadequate, not good enough, um, so, so mediocre, lukewarm, tepid. It is very, very hard to get excited about something that leaves you feeling like meh, you know. And so this, I think, is really the issue that I wanted to address and so many people experience partnered sex as very very mediocre the fact that I called the book sex when you don't feel like it was really out of uh almost desperation because when the publishers were like come on you need to pick a title for this you know I could have called it mashed potatoes I don't know it's I mean yes it is about mismatched libido absolutely it's about that but it's actually almost it is a manifesto of what i think is the next phase of a sexual revolution that may have been too political for some people that may have been too challenging for some people so sex when you don't feel like it people can pick it up and go oh i know exactly what this is going to be about and it is about that and it's also about so much more because i really invite people to change the way they think about sex so they can start having sex that is much more satisfying and fulfilling rather than feeling like they have to adapt to a social script, whether they're gay or straight or any gender or whatever. So many of us have never, ever given ourselves permission to imagine a sex life outside of the one that has been spoon-fed to us. And really, truly, that version of sex serves nobody. None of us benefit from that. And so that's why I wrote this book, because I wanted people to start learning how to think about sex differently.
0: And the default I found, and of course, I can only speak about my lived experience, but I feel the default is, well, then if I don't like sex the conventional way that it's been taught to me or told or or fed the narrative, something's wrong with me. Mm. What's wrong with me? Hence, sex when you don't feel like it too. Gosh, I love my partner. For instance, one example, I love my partner. I want to be with my partner, all of that, but I'm just not feeling this. What's wrong with me? And that yeah. was one of the many, many takeaways I took away from, from your book. And I want to, I want to explore that more and ask you what you're seeing in general. Cause I love at the beginning of your book, you write, we've never been more connected yet, less engaged, less satisfied and lonelier in relationships.
1: Yeah. Why are, what's the disconnect that you're seeing? I think, you know, for me, when I talk about relationships, I don't center romantic relationships. I mean, all relationships, I mean, friends. I mean, community relationships as well, because I I think part of this reason that people are suffering so much is because we've lost community, we've lost connection Mm -hmm. to, to social networks. And ironically, in this age of social media, people, including myself, have become, we've become more isolated. We're on the other end of a global pandemic, which forced us to be isolated. So, you know, there's a context for this as well. But I think this was happening prior to COVID. And so, you know, but even in our own homes, if we live with partners who we feel obliged to have sex with, whether we want to or not, there is this expectation that we're supposed to want to have sex with them. Um, which is a problem as well, but um, even between friends, between co- colleagues, between co-workers, everybody feels just like, you know, it's just so hard to make meaningful connections. And I think it has to do with the way our society has shifted, that we've become much more siloed, we've become much more um, independent which on one hand has some benefits, but I think we're seeing now the long-term effect of this in terms of increasing anxiety, increasing depression, people not knowing how to form relationships, everything is happening online. And at a DNA level, at a cellular level, humans are wired for connection. We need each other we may not like each other but we need each other Mm -hmm. and part of the reason i think so many of us are struggling is because we struggle to make these connections and make them meaningful we hit uh some kind of discomfort and then you know go into an eject response of oh i can't with you i can't be with you i can't do this um And then things just shut down. And so, you know, in a dating context, ghosting happens. In a friend context, ghosting happens. These kinds of things happen a lot. Even in professional situations, employers will generally only employ people on short-term contracts. There is no more, you know, so-called job security. Nobody wants to commit to anything anymore. And we see this across society. Now, uh, whose fault is it? I'm not laying any blame at, you know, any one particular person or organization. I think it's a systemic thing. But in terms of responsibility, like how do we fix this? We have to decide as individuals that we want to cultivate meaningful connections, at, at least in our own little inner circle. And whether that means with our partners and a handful of friends or our neighbors or whoever it feels most accessible. To us but without going out of our way to deliberately cultivate connection with people who matter could be family members for some people I think we're all going to be fucked and I don't mean that as a threat I mean that as we can see it, it's already starting to happen so the tool that all of us have in our back pocket right now is is connection we have the ability to do that it is wired into us We need to remember how to do it and we need to learn the skills to do it effectively. And I think this is the next piece of this. How does this affect sex? If you're feeling disconnected and cranky and cold and isolated, you're probably not going to feel very frisky. Or, on the other hand, for some people, that level of disconnection, they start to get confused and think that that's what horniness feels like. And so it's like, gimme, 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 I need, I need, I need, I need, I, I must have, I must have, I must have So it can manifest in a couple of ways, but still it leaves us feeling kind of ick afterwards. And we need to be able to to dive deeper into, you know, how can I have more orgasms? How can I last longer? How can I have, um, you know, how can I be multi orgasmic? Like that's fine. There's nothing wrong with any of that, but my quest, my inquiry is far, far deeper than how many orgasms you're having and how many positions you're interested in to me to me that's not even interesting personally and i don't want to say for people listening who are interested in that that it's a bad thing to be interested in it's not it's just that i'm not interested in that
0: i love that we're talking about this because sex can be so siloed you know this sort of uh It's pushed away, it's put in a box, it's taboo, all of that, when in reality, Mm. everything is connected. And we're talking about connection in general, and we're saying we're fucked if we don't really start to lean into this need for connection. And what does it have to do with sex? Everything and anything, And I believe. And then what does sex have to do with the rest of our lives, whether that's sex with a partner, ourselves, whatever that looks like? I think everything. And when I'm feeling really connected with my partner, who I engage with sexually, that impacts the rest of my life it, it just does i, I feel right. more connected with myself i feel more engaged with my work um, maybe i'm not going around walking around on the streets talking about it even though i want to but it impacts yeah, my yeah. life and mm-hmm. you and i again we were talking about this previously cindy before we started this this podcast and, and the, this conditioning that we've been fed and i didn't realize that since until reading your book all the narratives mm. i've been fed in the conditioning around sex yeah. and this sort of yeah. performative nature that i was always spoon-fed it's about satisfaction it's about performance it's whatever satisfaction means of course in a, yeah. a binary way um orgasms yeah. looking good and it's so much more so tell me yeah. if you will let's let's explore that what are you interested in you were just saying you know orgasms all of that that's fantastic but it's so much deeper mm. for you um yeah Yeah, what do you want readers and people to really explore and unveil when it comes to sex?
1: I want them to understand that we have been tricked by our sex education. And what I mean by that is that it's the absence of sex education. It's what we haven't been told, what knowledge has been deliberately withheld from us that tricks us into thinking sex doesn't matter, that tricks us into thinking connection doesn't matter, that if we buy this lube and buy this vibrator and have sex 2.7 times a week, because that apparently is normal, we will then be fulfilling some expectation that a, you know, quote-unquote healthy relationship is supposed to look like. I find that breakdown of sex, not only insulting, but so profoundly un-fucking-helpful. For whom is that useful, really? Because then it just sets us up to scramble toward this thing of, well, I bought the vibrator, I bought the lube, we're having sex 2.7 times a week. There's no inquiry into how does this make you feel? How do you want to feel Have you ever experienced something that allowed you to feel like that? So we are tricked into thinking that if we just do this, you know, script, then that's real sex, that that's happiness, that that is contentment. And this causes so much angst for people because then by the time they come to somebody like me and they've tried all the things and they're like, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with us? What's wrong with my partner? Sometimes that's how it lands too, is I'm not the problem, they're the problem. At that point, we've lost connection. We've lost connection to ourselves, we've lost connection to each other, we've lost connection to our purpose. People engage in sex for hundreds of reasons, probably even thousands. The research tells us it's hundreds, I would wager that it's probably thousands, but you know, we don't need to split hairs about that it doesn't matter what does matter though is that we are able to recognize within ourselves why we're having sex and there may be one singular reason there may be multiple reasons there may be different reasons on different days and that's all okay but sex is the one place in our lives that we don't engage in any inquiry about why we're doing it like almost none You know, and I find that astounding that everything else that people do, the food they eat, the clothes they wear, the job they have, um, the amount of children they have, like everything, you know, whether they have a dog, you know, a rescue dog or a pedigree dog, like, you know, people can always explain within you know, seconds, why they are vegans or why they work for such and such company or why they have this degree or why they decided to have five children and not three. And they can always tell us this. But when you ask people, why do you have sex? And they look at you like, what? you know, Because no one's ever asked them right. that before. And so this is the first place I come from when I'm working with people. And, you know, you don't have to go to sex therapy to have this self-inquiry. You can read a book. You can just sit and think about it by yourself. But when you allow yourself to stop and go, why am I doing this, actually? And not to make yourself feel bad, but to start to develop curiosity. Mm -hmm. Because the truth of the matter is you don't have to have sex. You can have connection without having sex. So for people who might be thinking a book about you know finding desire is saying it it, you know that you have to be having sex and sex is the best thing in the world and you know if you don't feel like having sex it's because there's something wrong with you you were abused as a child and all this stuff that we we tend to default to which is all horse shit but if you don't want to have sex and you have done The work that i the way i lay it out in the book and you come to the end of the book and you say yep i really don't want to have sex i will stand uh, beside you and say good on you and high five you and go you've done the work you've come to a decision based on a real profound self-inquiry that you're like sex is not important to me and along the way i discovered that xyz is important to me fabulous but if you allow yourself to engage with sex and inquire with sex, no matter your gender, no matter your relationship status, if you're single or partnered or multi-partnered or however you do it, to think, what, what what is my motivation here? What do I want to get out of this? Because, again, for a lot of us, if we're just going through the motions that we don't know why we're doing something, anything at all, even our work, If we don't have an inspiration, if we don't have a motivation, it can be very, very hard to feel satisfied by it. We can just feel like we're trudging along in this kind of rat race mentality. And certainly, you know, from a work perspective, there are people who are just like, I only do this job because I need the money. You know, glamorous, not at all. But is it an honest answer? Yes, it's an honest answer. And the thing about asking ourselves about why do we do sex is we might not like the answer we give ourselves. We have to be ready for that. But if we are profoundly dissatisfied with our sex lives, and I imagine that the people who read a book like this are maybe heading in that direction or they're very curious about, "Mm, maybe sex could be better for me. And I think that for a lot of people that probably is true. It could be better for them we need to be able to grapple with our motivation, including discovering things about our motivation that perhaps we don't like, that perhaps challenge us in some way, especially if we've been spoon-fed this Disney narrative of you find the one, it's all fabulous, you have sex, it's magical, you probably are gonna have a baby, And you're just going to walk together into the sunset and everything's going to be fantastic. A lot of people, even educated people, have this sitting in the back of their heads that, you know, when you're with the right person, everything is effortless. And that's just not true. It is just not true, especially not sex, especially not relationships. But we are never, ever, ever taught this. You know, we're not taught this even through, you know, Hollywood rom-coms and that kind of stuff which is where unfortunately a lot of us get our relationship information and in the same way that people will blame porn and say porn is the reason everybody's having terrible sex it's not porn is the symptom of you know and I mean there's different kinds of porn obviously and I'm not anti-porn as you read in the book You know, there's bad porn and then there's so-so porn and then there's amazing porn. But porn, like rom-coms, like, you know, Pixar films, they're entertainment. They're not supposed to be anything more than that. But when the only examples we get of sex and relationships are from porn and Pixar, and then we wonder why our lives aren't like that, then, you know, we have a social problem. We end up feeling disconnected because we don't want to admit that something is not quite right. And because of the silence around it, we think I'm the only person having this problem because nobody else is talking about this. It must be just me. And that silence is deafening and that silence destroys relationships and destroys lives.
0: Maybe think of one thing, I'm looking at my copy now where I've circled, you you say that it's common that we will genderize sex. Um, And- Yeah. I want to talk about that because whether I found, you know, I, I really appreciated whether this is an incredibly inclusive, every, every word that you wrote was incredibly inclusive, no matter your sexual preference, um how you identify gender wise, all of that. Um But how genderized sex
1: is, what do, what do you mean by that, Cindy? And what was the problem behind that? It's the way it's taught to us. Yeah. So I don't think sex necessarily is Gender eyes. So, you know, for people listening, the difference between sex and gender is your your biological sex is the genitals Mm -hmm. you have, which, you know, in most cases you're born with. Um, Whereas the gender we have is the gender we are assigned at birth. So boy or girl. But then for a lot of people increasingly these days, as they grow up, they start to think, well, I'm not I don't really feel like a boy and I don't or I don't really feel like a girl. And then we've, you know, now having a conversation to say, well, there are more than just two options. There's more than man, woman, boy, girl, that kind of thing. So, but the way sex is often depicted, particularly in these, you know, media narratives, is it is very genderized. We see men either as studly, strong, silent, uh, powerful, or... Often in romance movies, we see them as bumbling idiots who are incompetent. They can't express themselves. They are often the butt of jokes because because of their emotional incompetence. Um, and despite their emotional incompetence, the beautiful, slim uh, woman who doesn't have an especially strong sexuality will have to acquiesce to him. And she has to do the emotional labor for him. That finds, you know, allegedly she finds that fulfilling. And somehow that also ends up turning her on. How convenient. And for whom does that narrative work? It makes the guy, you know, out to be a complete moron that he is absolutely incapable of helping himself and he cannot have a fulfilling life unless he has some beautiful woman next to him who's able to tell him how he's feeling and what he wants for breakfast, because allegedly he's incapable of working that out for himself. Why men tolerate that kind of media narrative to me is astounding, but I rarely see men protesting that. In the ways that I see women protesting you know, why do we always write roles for women where they have to be slim and docile and, you know, coming in and saving these idiot men all the time? Increasingly, we are starting to see roles where women are older, fatter, tougher, less, um, you know, less sort of subservient or in their subservience there is still a narrative to it that is, you know, fulfilling for them. Again, I'm I'm loath to use the word empowering because I don't necessarily think that women have to feel empowered with their sex. I know I don't always feel empowered every time I take my pants off, like, that's a lot of pressure. (laughs) Sometimes I do. And then other times I'm like, oh, gosh, I'm carrying this emotional load right now. And so because again, for women, this narrative has been, you know, you're either a victim or you're empowered. Really, we only get two choices, (laughs) victim or empowered. Are you fucking kidding me? what happens if i'm neither of those so but this is a bigger social problem this is not the fault of one individual right yeah but this is how the gender stuff plays out so men are either you know buff sexy up for it ready to go or they're you know bumbling idiot incels and women are either empowered you know strippers at pole dancing clubs going woo, you know look at me um Or they're hopeless kind of Stepford wives just, you know, waiting to be discovered. And it just like the whole thing. It's so rare that we see narratives around sex and gender that are more textured. I think increasingly that is happening. And there are probably people listening going, well, what about such and such movie? Yes, there are exceptions to the rule. But when the vast majority of the way we conceptualize gender and the way that we learn about sex and relationships is through pop culture and media. I think, you know, that is where we tend to learn about these things. We end up with this. And this is not to say that it is the fault of of the media that they need to change the script, although I think they do. This is a social problem that we can address in our communities. But because we are so disconnected from each other, everyone wants to pass the buck and say, oh, well, it's not me. You know, I don't have to do it. Or the story up until fairly recently has been sex education in schools. I'm also not necessarily, I was, I used to be a proponent of sex education in schools. These days, I'm less enthusiastic about it because school is not always a safe place for young people. right? Especially in the US, unfortunately. Right. Um, but even in my country, Australia, school is probably physically a bit safer than the US, but it's not necessarily emotionally safer. And teachers certainly are not equipped to be delivering this level of nuanced education. This is something that I think has to happen at a community level with parents, yes, but with siblings, with sports coaches, with therapists, mm-hmm. with any places that people gather information and not just young people, old people, yeah yes, <laughs> aged people adults like you know sex is sex is is true for our lives and so sex education is not just teaching little kids where babies come from like that's part of it of course but again that's just very simplistic like that's just you know sex education 101 that's a 30 minute lesson i'm not talking about that i'm talking about the stuff that 40 year olds grapple with that kind of sex education and nobody's doing that well few people are doing.
0: That. Well, I'm just getting mine. I'm 41. <laughs> Cindy, I told you, <laughs> thank you. So it's taken a little bit. Oh my gosh. I still, sh- I shiver still when I think about the brief sex education in what fourth, fifth grade, whenever that was. Oh my gosh. And I, I remember right. one of my classmates <laughs> said, you know, when you touch yourself and you masturbate, that's bad. i like, oh God, you know, I'm, I'm just, right. <laughs> right. I'm ready for hell. I'm just going to prepare to go there. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> But as we start to, um, you know, there's so much to explore and I'm, Pack in your book and you really help readers go on this journey of looking inward. And one of the, the big through lines too is really understanding eroticism. And I didn't yeah. know what eroticism was until reading this book. You say it's where the body, mindfulness, and creativity meet. Um, two yeah. parts to, the, to this question, Cindy, as we, as we really start to explore, how can we start to lean into this to discover what is eroticism? And then how do we discover our, our quote unquote erotic templates? for ourselves?
1: Where do we begin? So, you know, I mean, eroticism, mindfulness, the body and creativity meet. That That is one of the examples that I use in it. I also talk about it as, you know, it's sex with the mind switched on. Because I think a lot of people want sex to be mindless. They want to go on a journey sexually, where they almost become a passive recipient of this thing it's almost like and again this is in the way that sex has been taught to us that sex is something that happens to us that horniness just kind of attacks us like a zombie or it comes down from the clouds or you you know rubbing a lamp and the genie just pops out and I am the horny horniness, horniness genie like that's not how it works it works like that for some people occasionally when you're maybe 16 but for more developed adult humans that kind of, you know, horniness thing is very unreliable. And even if it is reliable, even if you do feel horny regularly, you're not necessarily going to be satisfied to having the same type of sex over and over and over again and that's not to say that that's sex that you don't that you don't like it it's uh, i use a, a metaphor about food like you can your favorite meal perhaps is lasagna right and so you like the flavor of it you like the taste of it you like the texture of the sauce and the pasta and the whole thing and you know you get like oh i love lasagna so much i could eat it every day except that If you were to eat it every day, you would no longer want it. Would you still like it? Probably. It would still feel good in your mouth. It would still taste nice. Yes, I like it. But do I want it every day? Probably not. So this is the thing about learning how to be with the erotic. The erotic gives us the inspiration in the absence of that. When we don't have the mind switched on, as I make that reference, it's just like we're eating the lasagna and going, Yes, it tastes nice. Yes, it feels nice in my mouth, but I'm really not engaged with this. There is nothing happening here. And that's when people start getting confused when that thing happens with sex, because then they think, well, what am I supposed to do? Is it me? Am I, is it you? Are we supposed, do we need to get divorced now? What happens? Like what, you know? And, and eroticism keeps things fresh. Eroticism keeps us engaged it's the mind but it's also the physiological process and in the book i go into the science behind it like what's actually happening at a cellular level what's actually happening in our brains in contrast with our minds i'm not going to go into it here because it's a bit heavy sciencey stuff but for folks who are interested in that i do cover that in the book you can also skip that chapter entirely if you're not interested and just follow the practices that start halfway through and through to the end Because in the absence of engagement, if you are just lying in bed like a bag of wet sand, waiting for sex to happen to you, that is the fastest way to have a really bad sex life. We have to make a decision to be engaged with our sexuality. And then that means, for a lot of people, that means getting uncomfortable. Because we have to start asking ourselves, why are we here? Why are we doing this? How do I want sex to make me feel? What kinds of activities might I like to do? But for a lot of people, particularly people who are socialized as female, that question is terrifyingly complicated. So I tend to not start from that place of, you know, what do you want to do sexually? Because especially for women, that question is really hard to answer but you ask a woman how does she want to feel, she can probably answer that more easily. So for folks who identify as women, and, you know, anybody, but that tends to be the the cohort that are most affected by that, um, we'll, we'll start there. Whereas for men or people who are traditionally raised as men, they can probably identify Uh, activities that they enjoy but being able to engage with the deeper machinations of why they do something can be a bit more difficult because men have always been told go out and you know get it and then you're a man for a lot of men actually their motivation in sex is validation Mm -hmm. it's about a relationship to themselves it's not necessarily about a relationship to their partners that can be very confronting for a lot of people and you know I have sympathy empathy compassion for all of those positions across the board. And then also the the non-binary and transgender folks who are often just omitted from this entirely, there is that part of the equation too, is like, well, if I'm not a man and I'm not a woman, how do I engage with somebody who is, you know, a definite gender in that way? Um, And the the long-term effect of feeling like they've been erased has a really powerful effect. your sexuality how can you show up if you feel like you're not really there that's really difficult for folks too so there's lots and lots of ways that this plays out having sex that's meaningful means we have to be willing to do the work and i find this work i find it very invigorating for people who also find it invigorating they're going to love doing this work for people who are just like you know i i just want to have my orgasm and fall asleep, I say, okay, masturbate. Just masturbate. Just do it by yourself. Don't drag someone else into your mess. If if you really don't want to do the work, that's cool. But don't drag other people into the mess because then they're going to have to do the work for you. And unless you have an agreement around that, that's not fair. Just do it by yourself. And then a lot of folks are like, oh, but no, I, I don't want a sex life that's just me. I'm like, exactly. So then we are obliged. We're coming back to the connection piece. We have an obligation as members of a society to give a shit. <laughs> and this is part of how we do it, you know. And and sex is not the centre of the universe, but it's a pretty big piece of the universe. And while we pretend that sex doesn't matter, we gloss over some of the most important opportunities for for reflective connection that a human has and at the end of it like i said you can come to the end of the book and say yep i still don't want to have sex and i will say good no problem but the issue is not whether or not you end up having sex by reading this book the issue is are you willing to do the inquiry to engage with yourself in such a way that you're willing to take yourself on a journey to find out who you are. That's what this book is about. And that's why I wrote it. And that's why I'm so pleased with it because I think it is doing that. A lot of people are reading it thinking it's going to be like a positions book or a, you know, how to, how to have an orgasm book. And it's not that. And they read it and go, Oh my God, this is really like, it's deep, you know? And but I'm proud of that. I'm proud of the fact that it really takes people on a on a journey. And, and you know, it's like I'm, I'm with you, holding your hand, going, come on, I know this is hard, but you can do it. Come on, we can do this step by step, piece by piece. And there's no goal. There's no place you're going to get to. I'm not promising anybody anything other than you'll know a bit more about yourself at the end. And what then I refer to that as your erotic template, you will know what makes you tick a little bit more and that applies to your sex life but it also applies to lots of different areas the erotic template is about your relationship to life you know why get out of bed in the morning because you can just lie around in bed all day waiting for death if that's what you want but most of us don't really want that we would rather have an opportunity if we could to have a little bit more vigor and vim and this book is that it truly is,
0: and I have to say, if it, it is, it was one of the most validating and freeing—validating in the terms of, I am okay. <laughs> That's the thing too. There's yes. nothing really wrong with yeah. me, and ultimately yeah. freeing. And there are there were parts of it. There are parts of it, as you noted too. It's it's not always easy when you really start looking at some of this stuff and going deep. But man, is it worth it! And um, thank you for writing it. And thank you again for spending time with me today. It's it's incredible. Oh my
1: pleasure. And Cindy. My as pleasure. We, I'm
0: glad I'm glad it was so good for you. Truly, truly. And where can we find your work? We can pick up your book, of course, and we'll be linking to that in the show notes, but where can we find
1: your work as well? So my website, Cindydarnell.com, is where all the things happen. I I see clients all over the world. I'm not just limited to um, you know, the traditional psychotherapy model of state by state with my sexuality work I work across the world. So all my sessions happen via Zoom. I'm accessible in that way. I have online courses. I'm in the process of starting an online community where I'm looking at this sort of more existential life stuff as well as the sex stuff because, for me, the existential life stuff and the sex stuff are all mushed in together. I don't really. I mean, yes, they are separate, but if you're going to do – the sex thing in the way I do the sex thing it's part of life it's not just you know it's not just the vibrator and lubes and positions thing that's there's heaps of other people who do that if that's what you want go to them I'm not them (laughs) um yeah my online classes all that kind of stuff is all on my website and I'm pretty active on Instagram I've been sort of flirting with TikTok but I think I'm not very good at it I don't have the bandwidth for it um but I'm pretty active on TikTok and my Facebook page is pretty active too so
0: that's where folks can find me. Wonderful. Well, Cindy, thank you again. So appreciate this.
1: You're welcome.
0: Thank you so much for listening to today's show. Your support means so much to us, and I hope you got some great value from today's episode. If you're looking for resources from today's show, or you'd like to join other women just like you, looking to explore their sexual health and wellness, visit us over at scarletsociety.com.